Hey, everybody. Welcome to Large Nerdron Collider, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, is my super awesome friend and co-host, Jonathan Strickland. Last week was so spooky, it scared the episode right off my computer. Oh, no. How will how will people know about all of our favorite spookdom stuff? Well, we're gonna do it again this week. But no, uh, <laughs> I, I I owe I owe everyone out there an apology. I already apologized to Ariel, but uh, I, I was trying to put together our episode from last week because we actually did record one. It just did mm-hmm. not publish, and in the process of editing and everything, uh, a, a a series of unfortunate events befell your co-host Jonathan Strickland uh, broke my toe, which is still broken. Uh, It's nice and fun. And I got a kidney stone and I still have uh, some, some long COVID symptoms that are bothering me on occasion. And these are not excuses, but merely explanations of I was dealing with stuff and forgot. And so that's really all on me. And as punishment, I'm going to redo last week's episode again. It will be a delight. Besides, now we can talk about what happened this spooky season for us. Oh, man, yeah. which I should have told you one of the things because we can't talk about it on air. Yeah, so uh, so one thing that's kind of funny is that before we even started recording, uh, Ariel and I were just chatting and we got into a really great deep discussion about some uh, things that we're looking forward to in the geek space, specifically in television and film and how we were interested in them or excited by them, or in some cases, you know, feeling like, Oh, that's not what I was expecting. But obviously the, the strike is still ongoing though. As we record this today, uh, SAG-AFTRA and the AMPTP are supposed to come back together in negotiations. Uh, SAG is expecting a response to a counter proposal that they presented the producers. So, maybe things are starting to head toward a resolution where the strike will be over. That would be fantastic if that happens, but for the time being, we're still operating under those pesky strike rules. Yeah. The, when we first got back to the bargaining table, the MPTP is like, you're being unreasonable. We're walking away. And we're like, cool, we'll wait. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And by unreasonable, it's like saying we want to make sure that in this new era of, of, streaming in particular as well as the 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 dawn of generative artificial intelligence that certain protections are in place so that people can actually make a living as an actor as we have said numerous times it is a a very small percentage of actors who actually make a living acting like that is the one and only source of income in their lives most actors are holding down other gigs in order to be able to support their habit of acting. Yeah. Yeah. And like it was, I did laugh a little bit because a bunch of like higher echelon actors came together and said, no, we're going to hold out for a deal. And I'm like, I get that. And their support is amazing. And I'm not knocking it at all. The, the, the actor union needs their support. They're a part of it. They are affected by this too. But you know, as we've talked about before, it's about the, 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 uh, the, the working level actors, not the big stars. So uh, it's also good that the working level actors are like, no, we'll wait. We've waited long enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's important, right? Because this is, this does determine their compensation moving forward. And if, if those working actors want to be able to get closer to making a living wage doing mm-hmm. their work, it's absolutely imperative that these changes happen. The problem is they're also the ones who are, the most at risk, the longer the strike goes, they're the ones who have the least amount saved up the least, uh, they don't have the safety nets that the massive movie stars have. And so like the massive movie star might be saying, well, shucks, I was going to buy another private Island, but I guess I'm going to have to wait till next month. Meanwhile, you have working actors saying, uh, can I make this sandwich stretch for two meals? Which, you know, I've done before I really got into film acting. I did that, too. Um, But, you know, the 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 working class actors are also that's that's not the right term for it. My brain is not functioning today in that area. 
but you know they're willing to hold out too because otherwise they'll continue having to make two sand a sandwich stretch for two meals um yes so that's all good i'm glad that things are moving forward you know there's a lot of like holiday slate in 2024 slate is all going to have to get pushed back if things don't get resolved soon so you know the the producers are starting to feel the crunch um yes yeah i mean and like all those all those big companies out there uh like there's the the one that starts with d and ends with isney that had uh, put out like massive slates of film and TV projects that, uh, that span the course of several years. Obviously those schedules are going to change in the case of that particular company. This might be for the best because they have a whole lot of things that they need to fix, uh, Mm. beyond compensation and benefits for, for their actors. But again, we can save that conversation for later when we're out of the, the strike uh, but for now, what we thought we'd talk about is uh, spooky stuff, because like I said, last week, the episode was really focusing on that in advance of Halloween. Now Halloween has come and gone, but uh, spooky remains in our hearts. So we thought we'd talk a bit about some spooky, geeky things that we enjoy that aren't related to you know TV and film and that kind of stuff. Yeah, first of all, I want to say, I really enjoyed this Halloween. I watched a spooky movie with my husband, and obviously I can't name which one, but uh, Jonathan, if you remember, I'll tell you after, because uh, <laughs> I probably won't remember. Um, and uh, we had three whole trick-or-treaters this year, which is better than previous years. Yeah, last year she got half of one, and that was disturbing. Yes, and they were all like barely two so it was adorable um and then another super fun thing that happened was some people some of our listeners jumped in the cosplay channel of discord and chatted about cosplay and costumes and uh blake moo love the costumes you shared with us i wish i had that talent i told you in discord but thank you for sharing your your costumes with us that was brilliantly awesome um jonathan what happened for you nothing <laughs> okay so so monday uh halloween in uh the the eve of all hallows eve was when <laughs> i got my kidney stone um and i still had it on tuesday halloween so my halloween was there was a lot of like ghostly moaning but it was all coming from me um so and sorry we did not have any trick-or-treaters which is what has happened the last several years but then again I live in a townhouse. It is kind of tucked back from the street a little bit. We have like a, a yard kind of thing that's in front and we're on a street corner. And the way that the street lights are, it doesn't put a whole lot of light into the courtyard area. And the lights in front of our doors and stuff are fairly dim as well. So it's not a very inviting place. Like it, all of my neighbors are awesome. The houses are in a very modern style. It doesn't look foreboding necessarily, but because it's dimly lit, it doesn't look welcoming either. So we didn't get any trick-or-treaters. I did watch some uh, seasonally appropriate entertainment that obviously I'm not going to go into more detail, but I, I watched some stuff that I'd never seen before, watched a couple of things I had seen before, but had been years and uh, enjoyed that. And that's about it. Like I didn't, I couldn't go anywhere because I was in so much discomfort. Um, I did before that a weekend before, not the weekend before Halloween, but the weekend before that uh, I went to six flags over Georgia to attend fright fest for the very first time. Uh, So fright fest is like a lot of amusement parks around the United States. will have a, a, you know, Halloween themed or seasonally spooky themed uh, element to their amusement parks for Six Flags. It's called Fright Fest. I had never been. I had been to Six Flags a couple times. Uh, thought I would check that out. And uh, let me just tell you, I was thoroughly disappointed. That's very sad because I went to Fright Fest years and years ago um, and had a lovely time. So why were you disappointed, Jonathan? So. Uh, some of it was just purely circumstantial. Like we get to 
uh, Fright Fest. And went by we, I mean, friend of the show, Shay Lee, uh, <laughs> took me to Fright Fest. She had actually worked at Fright Fest once upon a time many years ago and had not been back since then. So we go and first uh, entry into any of the haunts was on top of your entry into the park. So you had to purchase a wristband in order to go into any of the haunted houses. And they had like five or six different haunted houses. Uh, when we got in the line to get the wristbands was so long that we said, all right, you know what? Let's just go ride a ride. Uh, we rode the best ride in all of six flags and it's not a roller coaster. And Ariel, you know what ride it is. Cause I talked about it last week, but yes, um, it's the monster mansion. Yes. <laughs> Is that Monster the right Man name now? It is. It is. It used to be called okay. the Monster Plantation. They have changed that because obviously Plantation has some some real uh, uh, ugly baggage attached to it. So they turned it to a mansion instead of a plantation. Although it does still have a, you know, classic antebellum South feel to the uh, locations mm -hmm. and stuff inside it. It is a dark ride. You're on a boat. You go through a little river. And you can definitely tell that the former Imagineers were responsible for, for building this ride. It actually is a replacement. Do you know what was in the place of Monster Mansion before Monster Mansion was there? I don't think I do. I think that was there ever since I first started going as a young child. You wouldn't have, have encountered it because they, they swapped it out in the early 80s. But before mm. it was Monster Mansion, it was a ride that was themed after the works of Joel Chandler Harris, who's the guy who wrote all the Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox stories. Gotcha. And it was called the Okefenoki, uh, or Tales of the Okefenoki or something, which is odd because that's not where the Br'er Rabbit stories are necessarily set, but it was still a water dark ride. Um, there are some videos on YouTube that show footage of it, and it is fittingly for a show about spooky stuff, really unsettling but it's because it's because the the art style of the figures and the limited amount of movement is really off-putting gotcha gotcha I, I just thought you meant story-wise but uh either way yeah. um I, I will say in the summer like monster mansion it's not like the best ride ever but it is one of the coolest rides you can go like <laughs> temperature wise yes in the middle of summer so that makes it decent yeah, Although well, the line is very long. This line was also very long. We waited in line for about an hour Jeez. to get on this ride. The ride does not last very long. It's like maybe five or six minutes. Um, even for a dark ride, it's not super long. But it it was it's one of those rides where it's like it's kind of lighthearted. And we knew all the roller coaster lines were going to be even longer. So we rode that. Then we started to walk around in uh, areas that are called scare zones, which are set up in different themes around the park. So they had one that was themed after like zombies and the Grim Reaper and stuff. They had one themed after insects. They had one themed after uh, aliens because there's a place in Georgia. Ariel knows this very well called Roswell, Georgia. Yeah, I live uh, here. <laughs> yeah, so they they named it Roswell, Georgia, but Roswell in the style of Roswell, New Mexico, the supposed site of alien crashes. The thing that bothered me was that with the exception of the graveyard one, we didn't see any scare actors at all. Not a single scare actor in any of the other zones. So it meant that the zones were just these static tableau of a horror scene, but there's nothing horrifying about it. Cause it's just like, it's, you know, it's just obviously like plastic figures and stuff like that. Like there's yeah. no, there's no interaction. It wasn't immersive. And I was deeply disappointed. And I watched a video actually, uh, this is since we tried to record last week, Okay, but I watched a video on YouTube where a guy went to six flags, uh, the weekend before I did when it was raining. And he was like, also commenting on the fact that there were no scare actors in any of the scare zones. And he thought, well, maybe it's because of the rain. Well, I can tell you it wasn't because of the rain because the weather was perfect when I was there. Yeah. And I thought maybe it was because like they had all got pulled to an event or were on break or something happened. But you went through the scare zones a couple of times, right? Yeah. And I saw two actors and they were both in the little cemetery one as Grim Reapers. And mostly what they were doing was the living statue routine of mm -hmm. staying very still 
and only occasionally moving to creep someone out. So there wasn't a whole lot going on there. And yeah, I just, I feel like, um, I feel like six flags cut way, way back on their budget for, uh, for live performers for, for a fright fest. And, uh, I mean, from what I've heard, six flags has been in kind of, a, a decline financially over the last couple of years. So maybe that has something to do with it. They just didn't have a budget for that. That's a possibility. I don't have any confirmation on that. That's just guesswork on my side, but it really bummed me out because it reminded me, we've talked about this at length before, but it reminded me of the Renaissance festival and how street characters aren't, they, they do not appear to be valued very highly, at least on the management side of the Georgia Renaissance Festival, from my perspective. And yeah. that's a shame because I feel like they create so much atmosphere and flavor that it elevates the experience. Because I can tell you, walking through those scare zones was just kind of sad as opposed to scary. Well, what did you think of the haunted houses, right? Because they have to have actors in the haunted houses. I'm sure they do. Never got into one because that wristband <laughs> line was so long. And when we finally went by and the, the line was short at that point, it was like we might have been able to get it. the lines for the haunted houses themselves were super long as well. So even if we had gotten a wristband, we would have then have to go and wait in another very long line to experience the haunted house. So I didn't get to go in one, which means, dear listeners, to this day, this man who is now eight and 40 years of age has never been into a haunted house. You know, that's, that's a shame. I think you'd enjoy one. We should go at some point. I'm not a huge fan of haunted houses and I'll tell that story, but I really think you'd enjoy one. And if I have enough people to hide between, then I will go. So <laughs> I have been to the haunted houses at Fright Fest once. Uh, at the time I had a couple of friends uh, working the specifically the dark one they give you little flashlights and you basically walk through a dark house but there's scary actors and costumes and things all throughout um kind of behind like they were like chain walls if i remember correctly anyhow i also had to stand in a very long line to get in which gave these two friends who were kind of managing the haunted house a chance to um see me in line and tell all the actors inside the house my name and what i was wearing uh which <laughs> really sucked uh no it was very funny in hindsight it was very scary at the time because i walk in and the first like scare person's in the lobby in like a some sort of like dark hood something and walks past me and says like welcome ariel or something whispers it in my ear and i'm like i must have just heard things so we go in and i didn't just hear things by the time i got to the middle of the haunted house every scare actor was like focusing on me and screaming my name and i like i jetted out the exit being chased by a chainsaw and like thankfully my friends were there to catch me because I was ready to jump over like the railing and into the line below me um, just to get away. <laughs> uh, but that has been my general, I don't think I'd have that experience now uh, for one thing. Uh, one of the friends that helped run that no longer lives in Georgia, but also at the time I knew a lot of people like the other big haunted house in Georgia is Netherworld. Um, they used to be seasonal and now they're actually just full time uh, in like East Georgia. They've got like escape rooms and various different haunted house themed haunted houses that you can go through. Um, and I would go there and I'd usually, again, sandwich myself between people. And like there were times where I'd put like uh, the person I was with behind me and then introduce myself to the people in front of me and be like, hi, my name is Ariel. Do you mind if I hide my face in your back if I need? <laughs> um, and I would go through like that because a lot of the scare actors knew me. And so haunted house actors are not supposed to touch you, you know, and that's for their safety too, because if you get scared and you punch them, uh, you know, <laughs> they're going to get injured. I actually know someone who worked, I think at Netherworld and got like her tooth punched out because someone had a Yikes. fight instead of a flight reaction. Yeah. Uh, but they would come. I'm not that kind of person. I'm the kind of person that just like cries and screams and uh, huddles into a little ball. And so like people would come up and like touch my hair or touch my shoulder or get like, like extra mess with me, which is not cool. But also like they knew I, they, they knew that they would be okay. <laughs> um, again, funny in hindsight. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Well, and, and Netherworld has like super high production value. I mean, they, mm -hmm. 
they do uh they spend a lot of money creating really really uh effective uh you know costumes and uh, makeup effects and actual effects within the the haunted houses uh i again i haven't done one haven't been in it but i did get to interview some of the folks who who created the effects there because i did a years and years ago i did an episode of tech stuff where i i talked about the technology behind haunted houses and it was absolutely fascinating because obviously there is that balance there. You want something that's going to have a big impact and be really effective, but you also have to obviously keep safety first and foremost in your mind. Uh, so yeah, it was really, really neat just to learn from it. And it made me want to, uh, on a technical level, experience it. I wasn't sure how I would handle it like from an anxiety level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I love, I love scary movies and stuff, but like I don't know how I would react in the actual more immersive kind of experience. Cause I just haven't ever done that. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, it, it, from a technical perspective, I respect the heck out of it. Yeah. And, and uh, netherworld does something really cool or they did. I haven't been since the pandemic and it was a couple of years since I had gone before then even, uh, but they have like different haunted houses. So they've got one that's like very real fears, like trucks and bugs and surgery and stuff like that. And I don't like that. I don't like fears that could actually happen. I don't, it just, why? Um, but then they have like the fan, the dark fantasy Cthulian, uh, you know, clowns, cannibals, whatever, I guess. Not, no, clowns and cannibals are in the real one. Sorry, mermaids, things like that. Um, vampires and mummies um, that come to life and, and it's just a little bit more fantastical. And then they used to have, I don't know if they still do, like a black light one. So you'd put on like 3D glasses and everything was painted with like, black light paint and it would pop out and it made it hard to navigate sometimes one of the best scares because you can kind of um you can kind of prime yourself if you want if you don't want to be fully immersive or you just need to like not be as scared and look for the scare actors and just be like oh i see you're gonna jump out at me ha <laughs> okay you jumped out at me right like you can usually prime pretty well uh, this is not a challenge if i have any scare actor friends listening and i go to a haunted house that you're at not a challenge please don't extra scare me but um in in this 3d haunted house the black light one like they had a room that was just like a black it was just like all black walls with like stars painted on it or something like that just some sort of design painted on it and a person in an all black suit with the same design painted on it and because you're wearing the 3d glasses you have crappy depth perception and so they didn't even have to scare you they just had to kind of like walk out in front of you a couple of feet and it would startle the Jesus out of you because you couldn't see them moving <laughs> until they were right wow. there. That sounds uh, pretty incredible and incredibly effective. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm so intrigued, but I honestly, I don't know how I would react in these situations. So part of me worries that I wouldn't react in a way that was supportive. And that's what I would most want to do. Like, I don't ever want to be one of those guys who's like, <laughs> that's not scary because <laughs> I, I think that's so disrespectful <laughs> and and if you're gonna do that why did you pay to go and like scoff at the folks who are trying to you know do this work they're not getting paid very much y'all um, and they're trying to make your your spooky season extra spooky so if you're just going to de- and you're determined to be like that's not scary or whatever it doesn't make you seem like you're a big deal or that you're super brave it makes you seem pretty like lame and not fun. So I would want to make sure I reacted in a way that made the actors feel like that was a good one. This guy, this guy's a good patron. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think you should give it a try at some point. Um, Have you ever been to like a corn maze or a haunted hayride or anything that's like haunted house adjacent? Yes. Yes. Two things that I can do that are uh, in the neighborhood, the Mr. Rogers neighborhood of haunted houses. And one (laughs) is corn mazes, or as I like to call them, maze mazes. And uh, uh, (laughs) I've done that once, no, twice, I think. And I loved it. I was like, this is really cool. It was in the daytime, so it wasn't like hard to navigate or anything. It was still a great maze, like legitimately well-designed. So it took some time to make your way through. Uh, but I really had a great time. 
It was like just a neat activity to do. There was a small group of us and we were all kind of sticking together and navigating through the maze. And I really enjoyed that. Um, and I've done some hayride stuff too. Although I, I would just call it like, here's a way to waste 15 minutes and to eat up some tickets at this little fair. <laughs> like they were, it wasn't particularly like a haunted hayride or anything like that. It was just, it was more like a fall festival kind of thing as opposed to a Halloween specific kind of thing. But the other mm-hmm. haunted house adjacent activity I have done is that I finally, after years of knowing about it, went on a, a ghost tour in Marietta, Georgia. Um, it was led by this um, really eccentric tour guide, very, very enthusiastic, very knowledgeable, very eccentric. Uh, let's see. I think uh, her name Friend was um, Shay Lee. Yeah, it was Shay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shay was Shay was uh, offered to let me tag along on one of her ghost tours. And so I got to see her do her work. And the the stories that she tells are not like terrifying and blood curdling. It's more of like sort of the romantic ghost stories, right? Like not the super spooky, scary, terrify you, you're never going to go to sleep kind of stories, but more of the mm-hmm. sad, tragic, romantic kind of stories. And they were really interesting. And we got to walk around the historic Marietta Square and learn about the architecture and some of the buildings and the history of the buildings. Like it, it really was more of a history walking tour with some ghost stuff added on. But to me, that was perfect. It's exactly the kind of thing that I'm into. And I really enjoyed it. She did a great job. Uh, also nice. got to learn a lot about uh, a wild tunnel system. That's under that, that, uh, that town that's actually dates back to the 1800s. It's pretty cool. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I've never been to the Marietta ghost tour, but I, I've done the Roswell one a couple of times. And it is interesting because, you know, the ghost stories are tied to the architecture and the history of the town. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, historic Roswell, one of the things that's big is there was like a textile mill that got burnt down during the the Confederate, the Civil War. Sher- um, Sherman's and- March to the Sea. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, And so like a lot of it's like just really cool ghost stories. Like there's one about, I don't want to ruin it for you or anybody, but uh, there's one about like uh, a building that when it got rebuilt, the walls kept like getting like Mm -hmm. water leaks in them. And it was suspected that it was the, the ghosts of the women waiting for their husbands to come home from the mill when the, the houses got rebuilt with electricity, they didn't understand electricity and they thought it was fire in the walls. So they kept trying to put out the fire. So um, really fun and cool ghost stories. Like there's a couple about like people getting like scares of like ghosts running at them, but it's never super grotesque or anything. Um, yeah. But you don't believe in ghosts. I, I do not believe in ghosts. I have heard various ghost stories about places that, uh, I lived close to, like, for example, I used to live in a place called Gainesville, Georgia, and there is a college in that area called Brunel. Uh, it's a liberal arts college and Brunel has uh, a really, really, really nice theater. And that's where like, uh, uh, the community theater stuff between Brunel and Gainesville college, which is now part of the university of Georgia. Uh, they would, do these amazing productions at this theater. And so often as a student, uh, we would take like a, a, a field trip to go see a show that was meant for like, you know, kids or whatever. And I remember hearing stories about how a building that faced out toward the front of the theater, there was supposedly a ghost residing in one of the rooms. And that on occasion, if you looked up at just the right moment, you could catch a ghostly face looking out at the window and it would always move out of the way shortly after being spotted uh, was the story. And that mm-hmm. this was su- supposedly a, a former student of Brunel. I don't think I ever got the full story about, you know, supposedly how they became ghostified, but I remember that one clearly. My favorite ghost in all of Georgia is the ghost of Captain Flint, who supposedly haunts a restaurant in Savannah, Georgia called, uh, I think it's called the, the pirate house. And the reason why he's my favorite is because captain Flint is a fictional character in treasure Island and never existed. <laughs> so the, the that ghost of a, 
the ghost of a fictional character haunts this pirate restaurant. It is in one of the oldest buildings in Georgia. So it's, it, it legit is a building that has a ton of history associated with it, but it just, it made me laugh so hard. The first time I heard that this, this restaurant is haunted by the ghost of captain Flint. I'm like, Oh, I wonder, could it also be haunted? I don't know by the, the ghost of Gaston or maybe the ghost of uh, Darth Vader. I don't know. <laughs> yes. 100%. 100%. Now you've, you've had the chance to stay in a haunted uh, area before, right? Yep. A couple times, uh, mostly in London because everything in London is older than the United States is as a country. Uh, I've stayed at a few places in London that were supposedly haunted. Never, saw anything spooky apart from like really bad plumbing, uh, which isn't so much as spooky as it is terrifying because you'll step into a shower and you don't know if you're going to boil your skin off or freeze yourself. (laughs) Um, But uh, uh, when I was honeymooning in London many, many years ago, um, my, my spouse and I, we were ready to fly back to America and my spouse works for an airline. And so she and I were going to fly standby from uh, London to the United States, which means you, you haven't purchased a seat. You get a seat if there's one available. And if there's not, you got to wait for the next flight. Well, we get there and there are a ton of standby passengers. And uh, my wife did not have a lot of seniority with this particular airline at this point. She had not been working there for uh, many, many years. She had been working there for a few, but it's all based on seniority. And so it became very clear that we were not going to make the flight. And that meant that we had to start trying to make a decision. Do we stay in London overnight and try again the next day? Because there were no other flights that were going to work. Or do we fly to a different city in the UK and try to fly out the next day from there instead? And The thing that made this decision very, very difficult is that one of the other passengers who was trying to fly standby uh, was on a buddy pass, which is an even lower priority than where we were. Um, And this this gentleman uh, was a yeoman of the guard, meaning he was one of the members of the of the British uh, uh, armed forces who was assigned to the Tower of London possibly the most supposedly haunted place in all of England. Uh, So many famous people met the end of their life at the tower of London. And he was offering to other standby passengers, the chance to stay in the apartments at the tower of London, if they needed a place to stay because they weren't going to be able to fly out that night. And it was torture because everything in us told us we wanted to take that opportunity. I mean, you could stay in the tower of London on your honeymoon. That's an insane mm-hmm. story. But when I'm, we did the math, but awesome. It, yes. Awesome. Truly. Like it would have been like a, a fantastic one to tell. And I would have been absolutely head over heels in love with the idea. But, uh, we did the math and it just, it looked like there was no possible way for us to get out of London the next day. So instead what we did was we took a local flight to Manchester and then stayed overnight in Manchester. And the next day we flew from Manchester to the United States and we were, you know, it was the right decision to make because we needed to get back in order to get to our jobs and stuff. Our our vacation was running out, but, um, but it still was very sad that we didn't get the chance to stay in like the most haunted site of all of London. Not that I think I would have seen any ghosts, but from a historical perspective, I would have loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I've never had the opportunity to say somewhere that cool that's haunted. Um, I, you know, but I have, I have my very first community theater um, that I was a part of as an actor. Like I have memories of my parents working in community theater or in theater um, when I was very young, but uh, as a teenager, I acted at a theater and I hung out there and I helped out there and I stage managed and, uh, even assistant directed once and I ran concessions and all this other stuff. And I would get there early in the morning 
And like, in theory, it was haunted there. And there would be someone who would go up into the orchestra pit and play the piano or who would play with the scrims. And sometimes you'd hear stuff like that when you knew you were the only person in there. I never saw a ghost. And I assumed that some of it was probably like music coming from the alleyway behind or footsteps echoing from out front. But in theory, that was haunted. And then um, I've gone to Hard Labor Creek State Park, which in theory is haunted. But I think that might just be because um, a lot of state parks are in theory haunted, but I think it just might be because that's where they filmed a bunch of like scary Halloween movies. Yeah. Yeah. And when we recorded this the first time last week, I told a story about how I at first thought that that particular camp was haunted because I was there for an SCA event and I was walking back toward uh, the cabin I was staying at. Uh, at night and there was very limited light. I didn't have a flashlight or anything. This is before I had a cell phone, so I didn't even have a phone to hold up or anything. And I heard a, uh, a, a noise of someone making like a very f- rushed uh, exhalation, like, Oof! and it was very loud and it came immediately to my right. And I turned to look and I couldn't see anything until I saw this big shape start to move not toward me, but in front of me. And it turned out it was a buck. It was a deer. Um, But yeah, for a while there, I believed in pretty much every supernatural creature that you could put your finger to, because I had no idea what the heck had made that noise. I I can't even (laughs) express to you how terrified I was. Uh, Even when I found out it was a deer, I was still scared because those suckers can mess you up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've had plenty of shares scares at state parks that like i know what caused them and it's perfectly logical but it has caused irrational fear in me since then um Mm. so i completely understand you know ariel something we didn't talk about last time and Mm -hmm. i don't talk about it much at all because i have complicated feelings about it you and i participated in a spooky theatrical uh immersive murder mystery type thing once upon a time oh yeah we did we this did. was this was like a that decade was... or more than a decade ago yeah my i had fun with it so like we went to this courthouse and uh it was like a dinner theater and we each got a group and we brought them to a room and we would do like a a sand like call it ghosts kind of a thing um and everybody had like their own little shtick to it um and in this courthouse, of course, also in theory was actually haunted. Uh, cl- I think the the rumor was like clocks would reset themselves or change time. Well, we definitely whatever. had issues with that during the production, but yeah, yeah, because um, we were all supposed to have like the penultimate scary point of our room happen at the same time, um, but it didn't. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, we were we would synchronize. So, so let, to give you more of an outline of what was going on is that. Each person was playing a sort of paranormal investigator and uh, from all different backgrounds. And for some reason, we all wanted to be foreign. I don't know why, <laughs> but we all chose. Worst decision of my life. Yeah, no, I, I could I, not be Australian. I am sad that I went with German, uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I should have just gone with American. It would have been much easier. But yeah, the idea was that we would have a small group, a subset of the overall group, and that we would give some information to them that would give them part of the picture of this tragedy that happened. And that Mm -hmm. uh, at some point in the process of doing this theoretically synchronized across all the rooms, we would a paranormal thing would happen and we would act out our part of the parent. Like we had been possessed by a spirit. We would act out our part of the drama, but you, again, the people gathered would only see that bit of it. Then at the end, when everyone regathered together, we would come together and still possessed by these spirits would act out the full scene that would explain what had happened and what had led to this place supposedly being haunted by these different spirits. It was a neat idea. Uh, I think we probably needed another month to really workshop it so that it would have really good execution because ultimately I think it was... Uh, it didn't live up to the premise. It just, it, it was so technically challenging to do 
that I don't think it, I, I don't know how people who visited felt about it, but as a performer, I was like, I wanted that to be better than what it was. Yeah. It, it was very technically challenging. I agree that, uh, I mean, I know everybody involved and they're all good actors, but I, I think, you know, yeah, some more tech rehearsals definitely would have not hurt. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, it was, it was very, it was very, um, intricate in its design. And I think that's really cool. Like you said, a good, a fun concept, but, uh, I also found that like in my room, I maybe like, were I going to do it again, would figure out more to do because I felt like I kind of ended up having to stall a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had like electronic voice phenomena stuff that I had made by myself. Like I had used some audio recording software and then I did some like reversal of voices and things like that. So I could have something to like a prop to play with. And that helped Mm -hmm. me eat up time. But like I, that was something I did on my own so that I could have something to eat up time. Like we were also given a ton of freedom to determine how our Mm -hmm. room would actually play out. And again, like without having that incredible uh, integration and to be able to, to rehearse it over and over to make sure that you have the timing down. uh, It just, it just became uh, a little less polished than what I would prefer. I don't think it was bad. I just don't think it was as good as it could have been based upon. The idea was incredible. We just, I think part of the, also the part of the challenge was that none of us had ever done anything like that before. Like that specific I kind had. of theater. Oh, you had. Oh, I had done I had done a murder mystery with Oh, I had the, I had done before. murder mysteries, but I hadn't done murder mysteries where everyone is split up and everything is supposed to be happening oh. simultaneously. I had done yeah. murder mystery where the scenes play out in front of everybody in a centralized location. Yeah, that's how that's how the other murder mysteries with this group have done where we all had characters and we'd go around the party and we'd have interactions that would drop clues. But it was it was it was like we had some planned interactions, but they were also just like motivations. And then you could drop scene improv scenes about it, um, which went really well. We did it quite a few times. Um, But yeah, uh, if I think another part of the problem is that you and I are kind of perfectionists. (laughs) And so. I think I recall hearing that people really liked it. And I think that you and I are just also very, very, um, harsh critics. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that's something to keep in mind. I would do it again. I would, especially knowing what I know now, um, probably do better. Uh, (laughs) yeah, I would, I, if I were to do it again, I would, I would, take a much more methodical approach because the whole thing was very like we weren't working from an existing script when we started the whole story was crafted from the beginning like we we started with all right what's the tragedy how does it unfold that's the starting point and then we broke up and like each person was playing a particular character in this unfolding story and then working backward from that how does your paranormal investigator encounter that particular spirit and how does it uh, play out in the room that you'll be in. And I, I think that's not a bad idea, but I, I think that having more of it kind of set up in advance so that you have a really satisfying payoff would be, would be easier, like not putting the load on all the performers who already have to worry about actually executing the thing but we weren't just performers. We were technically performers and writers for that, for that, uh, project. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are getting close to time. So, uh, real quick, Jonathan, any favorite scary books or podcasts you could recommend for people who maybe are not quite ready to jump into the happier holiday spirit like me? Like I'm, I'm sorry. That was confusing. I am ready to start decorating for Thanksgiving and Christmas and all of that happy, good cook for everybody time. But for the people who aren't, any book or podcast recommendations? Absolutely. Um, so, uh, for books, like uh, I, I'm a fan of early Stephen King books, but also up to like the middle. I think of the middle of his career. I haven't read most of his work over the last decade and a half, but 
like the book Needful Things is possibly my favorite Stephen King book. Uh, I think it's really well done. It's incredibly atmospheric. It's super creepy. So check that out. If you can find a copy of it, my dad's horror novel Shadow Show is really good. And I, I know I'm biased, but I really think that that is an amazing horror novel. You can actually, I think, find an electronic copy. It's been out of physical print for many years now, but it's well worth a read. Just remember that it was written like in the 80s because it's a different different vibe. Um, I would also say that <clears throat> for podcasts, uh, the 13 Days of Halloween podcast, I know the people who work on that because that's a that's an iHeart uh, podcast show. And they get some incredible performers to do some really great audio work, some immersive audio, 3D audio stuff for that series. And if you listen to season two of 13 Days of Halloween and you look at, I think it's episode 10, but it's called The Doctor, you might very well hear a certain LNC host playing a part in that show. Yeah. Uh yeah, you do good job. You do good works. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I talk good. Uh, I don't really have any book re- recommendations. A lot of like the scarier books that I've read have <laughs> left me in a place to not want to read scarier books, like uh, scary stories to tell in the dark or anthologies of like H.P. Lovecraft. Um, I do like classic like Dracula or Frankenstein, and those aren't that scary. Um, some suspenseful stuff. But as far as podcasts go, uh, I've got two that I really like, and one is Limetown, and it's kind of suspenseful, and there's definitely some like scary, disturbing stuff in there, but it's more suspenseful than that, and I really enjoyed the journey. Um, the other one, and this I will say is just like flat up scary. It is true horror. You wouldn't think I would like listening to it, but the execution is really good. It's called The White Vault, and it's like a bunch of people go to a, a remote area, and they encounter like evil supernatural stuff happening as they explore like the ruins of the place that they're at. And it's, it's like truly terrifying, but it's so well done because they bring in a lot of voice actors from uh, different countries. And then they do this. It can, you have to listen on good audio system because they will have like the actors speak in their language and then trans transition to English. Um, but sometimes that overlap makes it a little hard to understand. So if you're listening like with a lot of excess noise around, it might be hard to follow. But I really enjoy it for horror. It is incredibly well done. Awesome. That I think that sounds great. I think those are great recommendations. And, you know, obviously in uh, some upcoming episodes, we will transition into other holiday geeky stuff. Hopefully we'll be able to start talking about geek news in uh, in more detail again because the strike will be resolved at some point and i look forward to doing that oh and i can actually talk about the other podcast i'm doing it's called monster universe because it's already on social media um there are a couple of trailers out it's a lot of fun it's a very cool story um if you want to keep up to date for when it comes out because it's not out yet uh you can go to the monster universe audio drama.substack.com and register for updates um it's really cool. Everybody involved in it is super, super talented. Um, yeah. So take a listen. All right. So that's it. Uh, Jonathan, if people want to contact us, how should they do that? Well, you're going to go across town. You're going to head on out down that one old state route that no one takes no more since the highway moved in. And as you go down that way, you're going to pass yourself a cornfield. At the end of that cornfield, there's going to be a little dirt road jutting off to the right. You're going to take a right. You're going to go down that dirt road a ways, and then you're going to start noticing that uh, you've been on this dirt road for a while, and you could swear that you're just passing the same landscape over and over. It's just that cornfield on your right and an empty little wooded area on the left, but you're pretty sure you've seen that tree before. You're going to keep on driving because there ain't no way to turn around. Road's too narrow. You're going to keep on going. And as the sun is going down and your gas gauge is getting low, you're going to start feeling nervous. And as that light starts to twinkle off into the distance, you'll notice there's another light up ahead. It's an old house. 
There's one room lit up over at the top of it. Otherwise, it's just as dark as the grave. You're going to pull up out front of that house just as your car is running on that last set of fumes. And somewhat trepidatiously, you're going to approach that porch and you're going to climb a couple of steps and hesitate for a moment before you knock on that door. But you don't have many options open to you, do you? So you'll set those knuckles to that door and it'll swing open with a low creak. Then you call out knowing someone's going to be home. There's a light on upstairs, but ain't no response. So wondering what you should do, you feel like there's no other choice but to take a step inside. You do so and you hear a soft sound coming from upstairs. Sounds like it's someone asking you to come on up. Can't be sure. You can't really make it out. So you get on that staircase, you climb it step by step, listening to the sounds of the house settle around you and smelling the dust in the air and walking your way through cobwebs and doing that crazy karate thing you do when you step right into a spider's web. And then you go over and you see that there's a door off to your left and there's some light coming out from underneath. And that right there must be where you heard the voice. You call out again. There ain't no re return to your call. So you just kind of walk slowly and you see that the door is actually slightly open. It's not actually closed all the way to. And as you reach the end, you're going to put your palm on that door. It's going to feel so cold against your skin. You're going to give it a gentle push. It swings noiselessly open. And inside, you see a bunch of puppets. And uh, there's also like a clown and a giant spider thing. And there's also like Jack Nicholson for some reason. But in the middle of it, it's me. And I'm going to have a hatchet in one hand and a sewing needle in the other. I'm like, yeah, what is it? Come on, I'm busy here. And then you can ask your question. Jeez. Huh. Uh, if that is too scary for any of you, if, if any of your poor hearts can't take it, uh, you can reach us on social media, on Twitter, where LNC underscore podcast, on Facebook, Instagram, threads, uh, everywhere else. We're uh, Discord, we're Large Nerdron Collider. Um, if you want to drop us an email instead, you can do that. It is largenerdronpod at gmail.com. And if you need an invite to Discord, you can either check our website, www.largenerdroncollider, which is sorely out of date, but it has active invites, or you can email us and I'll send you one. Uh, we really do love hearing from you. And until next time, I have been Ariel, drowning in full-size candy bars, Kasten. And I have been Jonathan. All work and no podcasts makes John a dull boy, Strickland. The Large Nerdron Collider was created by Ariel Caston and produced, edited, published, deleted, undeleted, published again, cursed at by Jonathan Strickland. Music by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com.